Praise God for the young people. I was watching on the monitor, and I actually started to laugh. I said, that young lady shouldn't have all that talent. God has given special gifts to our young people, and praise God, we must do all that we can to help them dream, to let them dream, and then to empower them, and then get out of the way. I tell people I am never concerned about the church when I am around groups of our dedicated young people. I'm never concerned about the future of the church. Praise God for that. I never start a, a, a message anymore without doing two things, but I'm adding one thing tonight. I always do a confession and then a profession and tonight an affirmation. The confession is simple. My name is Dan Jackson. I am a broken human being. I am not saying this to you to demonstrate any kind of humility. I am telling you what is the truth. I am a broken human being. Without the grace of a gracious God, I would be on a never-ending spiral downward spiritually. But because of His grace, I have hope. But I am a broken human being. And guess what, folks? He's not finished with me yet. And just in case you hadn't noticed, you're just like me. The profession. In the Seventh-day Adventist Church, there is only one true north, and His name is Jesus. Let Jesus be the center of all that we preach, of all that we teach. If we teach the Sabbath and Jesus is not in the center of the Sabbath, we ought to quit preaching the Sabbath until we can put Jesus in the center. If we are preaching the three angels' messages, we must put Jesus in the center. If we can't see that Jesus, these things I've written to you, he said, it was Jesus, is Jesus, who is the center of the book. If you can't preach the three angels' messages without Jesus being in the center, quit preaching the three angels' messages until Jesus can be put in the center. If you are teaching the health message, then please, you know, He is the water of life. He is the bread of life. He is the center and the substance of our hope. That's the confession. Thirdly, the affirmation. I want to praise God for our lay people. And I thank ASI for what they have done this week. I have great appreciation for Steve Dickman and, of course, for Kyle, who works around our office. And uh, he came to me and said, I hope you don't mind that I called you my boss today. And Elder Bryant was standing with us. He said, what's wrong with that? He is. 
<clears throat> Kyle is an Israelite in whom there is no guile. And uh, praise God that we have young people who can assume responsibility. I want to go back to a sentence that I quoted this afternoon, but that Elder Bradshaw quoted this morning, because I believe for Christians living in the last gasp of time, that it is important that you and I glean a fundamental understanding from the Bible and the spirit of prophecy as to how we ought to be, how we ought to witness, how we ought to have every member involved. You see, if every member is involved and we don't have the ingredient that I want to share with you tonight, we could have every member involved for the next 300 years. The church is the repository and I'm going to botch this up a little bit. I've got it written down, but I'll just do it. The church is the repository of the riches of the grace of Christ. And through the church will eventually be made manifest even to principalities and powers in the heavenly places the final and the full display of the love of God. I want to tell you, friends, if you want to talk standards, this is the standard. Jesus said, by this will all men know that you are my disciples, in that you have love one for the other. The final and the full display of the love of God. What is the loud cry? It is a demonstration in the, not just in the words, but in the lives. Now, I want to ask you a question. And I want you to respond, for those of you who understand the question. And I want to do this for you just before you fall asleep. Would all the ministers in this room please stand up? All the ministers in this room, please stand up. I didn't say all the pastors. <laughs> you may be seated. And for those of you who have accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, and you didn't stand up, you need to go back and read the Bible, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 9, and recognize the reality that the superficial distinction that has been imposed on the Scripture that is identifying clergy and laity does not exist in the Bible. Pastors have a specific role. I'm not demeaning pastors. I was a pastor for 25 years before I apostatized and became an administrator. <laughs> the role of the pastor... Remind me, folks, from Paul's letter to the Ephesians, the role of the pastor is to train who? The saints for the work of what? Ministry. 
When you accept Jesus as your personal Savior, you just signed on to be a minister of the Most High God. Paul says, don't you know that you yourselves are living stones being built together into a spiritual house to offer sacrifices acceptable unto God? There is no such thing as a Christian who does not serve. I, uh, I did something unique one time as a pastor. I was having a baptism, and I went to my head deacon, and he had two beautiful wing chairs in his living room, and I said to him, hey, would you bring your wing chairs to church on Sabbath with you? And he looked at me and said, why? I said, because I want to interview the candidates for baptism. And I want to sit in one chair, and I want them to sit in the other chair, and I want to ask them in front of the church, why are you going to be baptized today? What made you make a life commitment to the church? I will never forget one young woman. She, uh, I asked her the question, why in the world are you becoming a Seventh-day Adventist? And she told this story. She had some background, but she told this story. She said, at first I would just bring my children to Sabbath school, then I'd get lost, and then at the end of Sabbath school I would come and pick them up and take them home. But every single Sabbath there was a man at the door who greeted me so warmly who was so kind and gracious to me that I decided to, that I needed what he had. And I joined the church. Now, let me tell you this. This brother never, ever spoke publicly. Didn't give Bible studies. Didn't preach. But he had an attitude of gratitude that just emanated from him. He was the kind of deacon that would clean under the carpet because there must not be dirt in the Lord's house. You see, I believe that Jesus is coming soon. So do you. He's coming. I want to go home. The time has come for us, for you and for me, all Seventh-day Adventists, to intensify our beliefs so that we can serve God and bring glory to Him and to His name in all that we do, whether it is a family relationship, a school matter, a hospital, wherever we are in the workplace, we must consistently be bringing glory to God. That has become your role. I want to look at this with you, and I want to reference a Bible passage tonight, Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. And you might say, well, this is a rather odd passage, but it reads like this, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by your prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, make your, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. What do people see in you and me as they watch us? 
That's a telling question, friends. What do they see in us? Is our silent life testimony so powerful and compelling that those watching us would make a lifetime commitment to Jesus because of what they saw? You see, we are preoccupied in the North American division with the dream of reaching every community in this land, our homes, our schools, our business places, our churches, everything we have must be dedicated to the furtherance of God's cause on this planet. We have a dream that every single member of the church in North America will read the Scriptures, will be impressed by the Holy Spirit, and will become involved in God's great evangelistic thrust on this earth before Jesus comes. It is a splendid vision. However, let me say that if we do not personally demonstrate our connection with Jesus, then all other systems fail. Allow me to share a very powerful statement with you. As a matter of fact, for those of you who want to engage in soul-winning activities, I have a key for you tonight, a very powerful key, and it comes from the book Christ Object Lessons, pages 299 and 300. And this is what it says, we are to show the world and all the heavenly intelligences that we appreciate the wonderful love of God for fallen humanity, and that we are expecting larger and yet larger blessings from His infinite fullness. Then she goes on, far more than we do. We need to speak of the precious chapters of our experiences. These exercises do three things, she says. Number one, drive back the power of Satan. Number two, they expel the spirit of murmuring and complaint, and the tempter loses ground. And number three, they cultivate those attributes of characters of character which will fit the dwellers on earth for the heavenly mansions. Whoa! That's quite a statement. She says that rehearsing in our own mind the goodness and the grace of God as it relates not only to the world but to me. Listen to how she ends the statement. She says, such a testimony will have an influence upon others. No more effective means can be employed for the winning of souls to Christ. No more effective means can be employed for winning souls to Christ. So here's the question tonight, how do I become like that? What Paul tells us in his powerful statement in Philippians chapter 4 is that lasting peace and happiness come to those who put their trust and faith in God. That is, they allow their lives to be preoccupied with God. And then things begin to happen. Paul was attempting to tell the Philippians that they needed to be ever concerned with this. But what we're talking about here is successful, transcendent, daily spiritual living. That's where we need to be, friends. The next time I am tempted to be angry, 
And, you know, I, I, I do have to tell you, I've already told you I was broken, but I do have to tell you I was a sinner. I am a sinner. I said this once at a camp meeting, and a lady came up to me and said, you are a president. You must never tell people that you are a sinner. And I said to her, thank you so much. From now on, I'll just lie. The next time we're tempted to be angry, we need to think about the goodness of God. I want to suggest there are three things that can turn us into dynamos for Jesus Christ. Three ideas that emerge out of the Scripture. Number one, the recognition that the love of God desires only good for us. We've got to settle that in our mind. He is not some kind of eternal ogre looking to pounce on us. The love of God desires only good for us. I walked into his office, and if you heard me tell this story before, I'm telling it again. I walked into his office. This man, the president of the Rwandan Union, He had left his home in the early 90s to go out and do a weekend of preaching. And when he returned home 120 days later, he discovered that his wife, three children, and nine grandchildren had been slaughtered in the genocide. I walked into his office and I said to him, Brother Amon, I know that a person's pain is something very personal to them. And for somebody to come walking into your life and say, tell me about it, is not only, can not only be rude, but it's just inappropriate. I know that is like holy ground, but I want to ask you, how did you survive that? And this was his answer. He said, I want you to know that God has been good to me from the very beginning. He went on to say, I know the people who killed my family. They live not too far from here. I see them from time to time, but I pray for them every day. Let me tell you something, friends. That is not natural. That is supernatural. That is a gift from God through Jesus Christ. His life went on because he knew in his heart that God was good, eternally good, and that the love of God only desires that which is best for us. David wrote it this way. He said, shout to the Lord all the earth. Serve the Lord with joy. Come before him with singing. Know that the Lord is God He made us, and we belong to Him. We are the people, the sheep He tends. Come into His city with songs of thanksgiving and into His courtyards with songs of praise. Thank Him and praise His name. And why does David say all this? He winds up in verse 5 of Psalm 100 by saying, The Lord is good. His love is forever. And His loyalty goes on and on. I walked into her hospital room. It was very awkward 
situation for a man or the woman. This dear sister had had radical mastectomy. I do want to say just exactly how much does a man have to say to a woman at that point. If it's your wife, that's one thing. But in any other circumstance. But, you know, I had a philosophy as a pastor, and that is unless there was some very serious problem, when I went into a hospital room and you're sleeping, I'm going to put my hand on your shoulder. And so I did. I gently touched her shoulder with my hand, and this dear sister opened up her eyes and looked into my face, beaming, and said, Pastor, God has been so good to me. (laughs) The next part wasn't quite that, you know, quite that good. She said, do you want to see what they did to me? And she started to pull the sheets down. I was halfway down the hall. (laughs) Christianity is demonstrated in the crucible of life. If I want to be a part of the last day movement, then I must become a part of the final and the full display of the love of God. Need to recognize, need to recognize that God is good and that His will for me is always good. Point number two, the wisdom of God always knows best. Jeremiah wrote, quoting God, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. You know, we so often question God. I remember seeing a church member one time. I was sitting in the dock of the ocean, and he came into the dock with his boat, and he was angry at God because he hadn't caught any fish. Sometimes we don't understand how things can happen. But we do know that if we place our hand, or rather our life, in the hand of God, the wisdom of God always knows best, even when things look like they are ridiculous to us. In 1980, I received a phone call late one night. It says I have five minutes and 29 seconds left. Good luck. Every technician has said, well, good for you, buddy. We're just turning you off in five minutes and 16 seconds. Go for it. Got a call from the General Conference. They said, we would like you and your family to relocate to Sri Lanka. First question, where in the world is Sri Lanka? When I was a kid, it was Ceylon, the pearl of the Indian Ocean. I didn't know. I said, we'll pray about it. Had to do something. In town, went to town, came back, typed out a letter, you know. Anybody under 45 know what a typewriter is? Anyway, typed out a letter. It said, dear brethren, thank you so much for considering my name, but I will not be able to go to Sri Lanka. And I began to list a number of reasons. Then I again was interrupted. I had to go. When I came back, 
my dear wife wrote a letter for me. It read like this. Dear brethren, I'm so sorry I can't go to Sri Lanka because they don't have motels over there or big green glad garbage bags, etc., etc., etc. And I went to her and I said, are you mocking the servant of the Lord? I did not want to go. I did not want to go to Sri Lanka. I was happy in Canada, but I made the mistake of praying. It wasn't a mistake. But I began to pray, and the more I prayed, the more God worked in my mind, and He told me two things. You cannot draw a geographical circle around where you will serve God. Secondly, you cannot or ought not to draw a circle of convenience around where you will serve God. I wrestled with that for two weeks, and finally, in conclusion, I phoned the brethren. Now, the voice who had called me initially had been happy and cheery, but when I phoned them this time, I said, Hi, this is uh, Dan Jackson calling. I, my family and I have prayed about this, and we've decided to accept the invitation. And the voice on the other end wasn't nearly so cheery. The voice on the other end said, we're sorry, we've already filled that call. Now, one would think one would be sad, but on my end of the phone, I was doing this, yes, yes, yes. And I went and found my wife. I drove to the school that she was teaching at. I found her. And when I saw her, I said to her these words, it was a test. It was only a test. And we passed the test. And then I said these words that were almost fatal words. I said to her, now I can finish the basement. Of course, every pastor, that's the role, right? Finishing basements. We had something to do that. Actually, had a funeral to conduct. Went out, conducted the funeral, came home. We were eating supper. The phone rang. Was that crazy woman from the general conference? And she had her cheery voice on again. She said, Are you still willing to go to Sri Lanka? And I said, The conditions that led me to say yes the first time are still there. We will go to Sri Lanka. Let me tell you something, friends. I did not want to go to Sri Lanka. But what I have told people since is that it was not always pleasurable, but it was always beneficial. The wisdom of God knows best. If we put our lives into His hands, He will bring us off more than conquerors. Finally, the third point, and I'm skipping through this as quickly as I can, the third element that can make your witness and mine more effective for Jesus is the power of God. The power of God that can bring about our requests. I, um, before I went overseas, I sold, I sold my house. We had just bought a house. And I sold the house. You know, I mean, this will sound like a dream. But the house was a brand new home. About a, it was about 1,100 square feet. Bought it for $50,000. And 11 months later, I sold it for 80000 We paid our tithe. 
We did a number of other things. We had $20,000, and I, my wife and I agreed, we'll take that money and we'll put it aside for our children's education. Because, by the way, kids cost a lot of money. And we went to Sri Lanka. We I actually bought a five-acre piece of land. We took off, went to Sri Lanka. From there, we went to India. About five years later, you know, we were not exactly the long-term missionaries. We were more like tourists. But had a wonderful time. It was a blessing from God. When we came back, couldn't sell the land. Couldn't sell the land. We prayed about it. We tried to sell it. I put that little investment of 20000 which then was a pretty good chunk. Couldn't sell the land. Not at all. But you know what happened? The clock went to zero. But <laughs> what happened was this. After the last one of our children had finished, we got a phone call. Someone wants to buy your land. They've offered $7,000. I said, send the check immediately. <laughs> and we took it and we used it. But you see, all along, God didn't need, need my money. He didn't need my plan. My children were provided for. They got their education because of the power of God. Listen, friends, I'm going to close. But I'm going to close by reading a statement that is a wonderful statement from Desire of Ages, page 331. It reads like this. Those who take Christ at His word and surrender their souls to His keeping, their lives to His ordering, will find peace and quietude. In perfect acquiescence, there is perfect rest. Our lives may seem to be a tangle. But as we commit ourselves to the wise master builder, he will bring out the pattern of life and character that will be to his own glory. The love of God, the wisdom of God, the power of God. Friends, we need to rehearse those moments in time where those elements have been experienced in our lives. And then we'll become master Soul winners for Jesus. We are living in the final gasp of earth's history. We are. You know, you used to be able to say, well, yeah, but there's... You can't say that, yeah, well, anymore, can you? The events transpiring in our world are so tragic and so breathtaking that one says, oh, dear Lord, not another one not another shooting, not another terrorist attack, not another phony baloney politician, whatever. By the way, I'm not a Republican and I'm not a Democrat. Amen. amen. That's right. Whoever said amen. I'm a Canadian. I don't vote. <laughs> I, I do want to tell you that Canada, not too long ago, elected a 16-year-old prime minister, but I better not say that. For all you Canadians, you can take the word back. Here's how I want to conclude. Many years ago, I built a house. 
actually had an arrangement with the conference as I was transferring from one conference to another was the only way I could get into housing. I built a house. Smartest thing I did was to hire a contractor to put the foundation in under that house. By the time I arrived on the site, it was there, it was good, it looked good. I put up subfloors and all the rest and put up the walls. Sounds really... See, there goes all the credits. I guess they're gone. But they probably heard the story before anyway. But I put up the walls. It wasn't that big a deal. It was a prefab house. The walls were sheeted and the windows were in the walls. But nonetheless, I put it up. And one day I was framing walls on the inside of the house when the building inspector showed up. And you have to know, friends, that when a building inspector shows up at your building site and he gets out of his car and his arms are like this, he's either a Pentecostal who just got ecstatic utterances or something is really wrong. And he did. He got out of his car, threw his arms up like this and said, you have built your house on the wrong lot. I knew it could happen because the man who lived just across the street put himself in a swimming pool. And when his new next-door neighbor arrived from the Northwest Territories to occupy that lot, he went to the man who built the swimming pool and he said, I have never received such a gracious welcoming gift as a swimming pool before. You built your swimming pool right on my lot. But I'm going to put a double fence around it. and I mean, I'm going to put a fence around it and a double gate on your side. So you can use my swimming pool anytime you want to. So I knew it was possible, but I looked at that building contractor, I mean that inspector, and I did this. I said, I have not built my house on the wrong lot because John Hanks put the foundation in under this house. And if John Hanks put it on this lot, it's on the right lot. And he looked at me, and he said, well, if John Hanks put the foundation in under your house, it's on the right lot. And then he tucked his proverbial tail between his legs, got into his car, and drove off into the sunset, and then it was my turn. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Here's the point. We know who the builder is. We know who the foundation is. His name is Jesus. Friends, we must become engaged. We cannot live our lives believing that the pastor or the star uh, literature ministries person or the person who does whatever they do is going to finish the work. God wants you, and He wants me. We build upon the foundation of Jesus, and then He will take care of the results. And we will have not only joy, but we will have peace as we serve Him in gladness. Amen. This media was produced by Audioverse for ASI 
Adventist Layman's Services and Industries. If you would like to learn more about ASI, please visit www.asiministries.org. Or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.